If you have your pew Bible turned to 1043, you can set it aside for just a second, but keep your finger in place. Um, I have to tell you a story. I distinctly remember the day that I learned how to keep my eye on the ball. I was really, really young, and I was very busy that day. I had been drawing uh, sidewalk chalk houses for ants and trying to keep them inside of there because I, I believed that the ant hills were not good enough houses for them. They believed differently. So I was really busy trying to keep them inside, and my brothers came running up to me, and they were like, we need you for baseball. So clearly my brothers were desperate because <laughs> I didn't play baseball, uh, and I still really don't. I like it, but I have no aim, and uh, I flinch at everything. I think most of you guys know this by now, but I flinch at everything, and when there's a ball flying at your face, it's worse. So I, I flinch away from everything. Um, but they decided that two-person baseball was just not nearly as much fun as three-person baseball, and so they thought if they could just get that extra person, they, they would have more to work with even if that extra person was me. So they disrupted my noble cause of ant house making, and they said, come play our violent sport. And so I did. Uh, and they spent a really long time teaching me how to stop ducking from the ball. Uh, in fact, so long that I'm pretty sure they were ready to give up. And my oldest brother came and he just implored me, please don't duck away from the ball. My oldest brother was kind of my protector, really, growing up. He always took care of me. And so he said, please don't duck away from the ball. We're not going to hit you. And it took a few more times, but the message finally sank in. And I decided the next pitch, no matter what, I'm going to hit that ball, and I'm not going to duck. And so the pitch came, and my brothers screamed, duck! And I was like, nope, not going to duck. <laughs> and I hit that ball so gloriously with my face uh, that it would take a very long time for me to play baseball again. But I, I did learn that day to keep my eye on the ball, both literally and figuratively. So the other thing I learned that day was when somebody calls duck, what do you do? You duck. All right, so here we go. Duck. Oh, <laughs> I told you my aim's really bad. Sorry, duck. <laughs> if you didn't know, I'm actually aiming for those three right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That went badly. That's okay, I'm gonna try again. <laughs> All right, so when someone calls duck, you duck. Uh, how about this, Annika, you play softball. Uh, when somebody calls heads up, do you duck? What do you do? Yeah, so when someone calls duck, just duck. When someone calls heads up, you look around to try and see where the ball is and you try to catch it. So let's try this one too. Heads up. Oh, 
<laughs> I was trying to overcompensate. <laughs> but you guys caught it. Good job. Now Nicole has a friend that can sit with her through the service because she was paying attention and prepared. Good job, Nicole. So when someone calls heads up, you prepare yourself. Our text today, look for it. Jesus says, stand up and lift up your heads. It's a message of warning. It's a message of, message of preparation. And it ends up being a very beautiful message when we get this heads up from Jesus in a time when, honestly, I think most of us would just rather duck. Uh, and so on that note, let's go ahead and read chapter 21, verses 25 through um, 36. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who believe or who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that these things will come to pass. Thank you for your warning. God, as we um, continue on with this service this morning, I ask that you would open our hearts to understand what this warning is and to live fully into the wonder of Advent. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the church that I attended when I was growing up uh, did not commonly practice uh, the liturgical year. I mean, obviously, we hit the big ones like Christmas and Easter, and we knew what Advent was, but there were no Advent candles, and there, were no, there was no real um, acknowledgement of the seasons. So coming to the covenant denomination in my next church was um, a stretch in a good way. I certainly knew what Advent was. My grandparents were Catholic, and they were very faithful, practicing Catholics. 
Um, and so they knew about Advent and Lent, and I guess I had that kind of basis. But I didn't really understand what they were about. I thought Lent was strictly about eating fish on Friday, and I, that's about it, actually. So my uh, understanding of Advent formed around the time that I came to the Covenant Church, and it formed um, in a variety of ways. I looked it up. I tried to make sense of why we celebrate Advent, and I found some good things, but I think the most memorable definitions of Advent came from a couple of emails I received over time. Um, One person signed an email to me, may you be filled with the joyful anticipation of the Advent season. And that's never left me. I've always remembered that, that Advent is joyful anticipation and something that we should be filled with, that it's a blessing to be filled with this joyful anticipation. For people like me who don't like waiting, I'm kind of impatient. (laughs) Anticipation doesn't sound like a blessing, and yet it's joyful. So this Advent season is about joyful anticipation. Another email, um, and I don't remember the exact wording of this one. Another email I remember, though, um, inquired how my Advent reflections were going that year, and they hoped that my waiting was filled with wonder and wondering. And that stuck with me too. So to me, over the years, Advent has become the season of joyful anticipation that ought to be filled with wondering and wondering and reflection. And I, I think that's kind of how I define things. And um, both are very good directions for Advent. Advent is a season that is specifically set aside for waiting and reflecting and wondering. Um, and we, we reflect and wonder upon, upon the joy that comes to us in Christ. In fact, uh, if you don't know, these candles, and I only, I only know the order of this one, but these candles are love, hope, peace, and joy. And those are the things we reflect on in the Advent season. Um, so it seems that this season Luke 2 would be a really good passage to reflect on. Luke 2 is uh, the story of Christmas. And what happens before then? We've got uh, the preparation of the birth of John the Baptist. And, of course, we've got Mary and Joseph. And we've got Jesus born in a manger. Um, Yeah, it's just a beautiful, peaceful, calm thing. And in the birth of a baby, and it's joyful uh, as we reflect on, on these things. And a lot of times I do reflect on Luke 2 in my own personal Advent uh, wonderings and meditations. So I wonder why. Why is it that every year at the beginning of Advent, the lectionary decides we need to talk about the apocalypse? because that is not, it just contrasts so deeply with this Luke 2 image. If ever there was a duck moment, it would be when we start to talk about the apocalypse. And I think as Christians, I think a lot of us are prepared to duck. We're like, uh, I've got the redemption of Christ, and I've got salvation for of 
from Christ. So when the apocalypse, I'm sorry, I'm tongue-tied. When the apocalypse comes, I am prepared to duck. And everyone else around me might get hit with these bad things that are happening, but I have the peace of Christ. I have salvation in Christ. This is going to pass over me. All I have to do is duck. <laughs> but Jesus then says in the passage we ran to, read today, stand up and lift up your head when these things happen. This isn't a duck moment. Don't hide yourselves away from this darkness that's coming. Oh, I would love to just sit and reflect on Luke 2 and joy and the humility of Christ born in a manger and duck away from the apocalyptic, scary text that we're reading today. But Jesus says, no, you stand up and lift up your heads. Do not hide yourselves away from the darkness that's coming. Instead, get ready. When, well, this is a terrible example because that duck was supposed to hit somebody. (laughs) When I threw the duck and told you to duck, you knew it was going to hit somebody, and so you prepared yourself for it. You were bracing for impact. It was going to hit you either way. But when I said heads up, as Annika said, you prepare yourself to catch it. If you're at a major league game and you catch a ball that's coming to you, well, that's a nice little surprise. That's like a cherry on top. You get a little souvenir ball, and it's kind of exciting. Um, Or you get to hold Danny Dewdrop all through the service, which I think is also exciting. Either way, when you get a heads up, it's a nice advanced warning, and you're preparing for something, and in the end, it's going to be good. But when I read these texts, all I think is, duck. But that's just it. Starting the season of Advent by reading Luke 21 forces our minds to think in kind of a paradox. The signs that will indicate the second coming of Christ, found in 2125, are in direct contrast with the sign of the first coming of the Messiah, which we read about in Luke 2.12. And then we go back to chapter 1, and Jesus is returning with great power and great glory in contrast to Luke 2.7, where he's born in humility as a weak human, not just a weak human, but a weak baby human, a helpless infant. And then there's the warning that the nations will be distressed and anxious in the passage we read today in verse 26. And that's set alongside the message of good news and great joy for all the people found in 2.10. All these paradoxes, and which ones would you rather reflect on? If you're really honest, if I'm honest, it would be Luke 2. But dark times are coming. So dark that the people are going to faint at the very thought of it. Darker than what we've yet known. But in the tidings of good news and great joy that were born alongside the infant Jesus, 
those tidings have certainly not faded away. And, and they're read in conjunction with each other. These dark times are coming and it's time to reflect on that. We already know it's Advent and that Christmas is coming. And we already know that Jesus brings tidings of good news and great joy. It's time to remember that those good news and great joy tidings remain even in these tidings of distress and anxiety. In the darkness and devastation, Jesus declares in verses 18 and 19 of 21, which we didn't read, that not a single hair of our heads will perish, and if we only stand firm, we will win life. So here's the truth. As long as there's sin in the world, we must face trial and tribulation. And here's more truth. It will get worse before it gets better. This is why we celebrate Advent with somber reflection when it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. It's because we cannot escape the world we live in where there's pain and hurt and sadness and wrongful acts. We are here and the end times will be worse. And yet we celebrate this time of waiting for the second coming of the Messiah. The Messiah who was born a humble infant, lived a human life as difficult as any human life, took the suffering of humanity upon himself and then suffered, not for any sin on his part, but for the sake of our own sin. The Messiah who is the reason that our suffering is only temporary. That if we trust in him, live for him, put our life in him, our life will be eternal and not a hair on our heads will perish. And so we celebrate this time of waiting for he whose return will be the end of all that suffering and pain that's described in Luke 21. So if your life and faith are in the Messiah, then earthly trials and tribulations, painful as they are now, will be only temporary, and vindication for God's chosen ones will come, and it will be eternal, and that's a guarantee. In fact, our scripture declared in 28, redemption is near. And that's the awe moment of Advent. That, that, that is the paradox. Remembering that our Savior who has already come and who will come again. Remembering that there is suffering and yet at the same time taking comfort in him. And then mourning that which is broken but rejoicing in that which has been made, made new through him. And so this is a reason that Advent is a season of both joy and deep longing and anticipation. And these are the wonders that we wonder about and wait for. So where does our heads up come in? Because I'm pretty sure we can reflect on all of that without the warning. So where does that heads up come in? Jesus gave his warning 2,000 years ago. And that is 2,000 years of waiting. And in 2,000 years of waiting, even if you are an incredibly patient person, 
you can at that point be very sure that Jesus is making a clear, clear, clear point. He wants us to do something with our time. Just to let you know, this is going to happen. So be awake and get ready and hold your heads up when it does. And then he's given us two millennia to do it. For some of us, again me, who lack patience, it's really hard and we want to implore of him, come now, Lord, and then we want to hide ourselves away until he does, avoiding that darkness that's in the world, just because we know that someday God will come and put an end to that suffering. We want to duck Well, all of the bad stuff hits the rest of the world, we want to duck away knowing that we are safe in Christ and just waiting idly until he comes. But that's not what we're meant to do. The warning was to hold your heads up. There is merit in saying, come now, Lord. He hears us. But then Jesus instructed otherwise. So when troubled times come upon the world, we will not duck. And that seems counterintuitive. Why were we instructed this way? Because God is in control. God does all things in his timing. So when we want to say, come now, Lord, Jesus says, just wait. And we want to say, take it away, God. Take away the suffering. And Jesus says, it's okay. God is in control. And when we duck our heads, the people around us say, oh, that Christian says that God is not in control. They're afraid, right? Jesus says, when the dark times come, you hold your head up high. And that is the witness. Because God has got this all in control. And so all we have to do is live in him with our heads held high. And people will see that and say, where does that confidence even come from? Advent, first and foremost, needs to be a time when we remember that God has it all in his hands, and he is going to make this brokenness whole. Jesus does urge us to watch. He doesn't say, he doesn't just say, don't duck. He does say, watch. He's not telling us, go ahead and just get hit with all the horribleness that's about to come. No, he says watch, and he says stay awake at all times. Jesus calls his followers to be prepared and aware, but he takes care to note that such preparedness does not mean that we have to plan every single detail ahead of time, and it does not mean that we have to know the exact date of his return Um, In fact, it's impossible to do that. That's out of our control. Our preparedness and part of our Advent reflections are that God is in control. He has it in his hands. And even if we don't know the timing or exactly what's going to happen, that's okay. But watch. 
So instead of using our time to wait idly with worry and fretting, he calls us to be patient and use our time to keep our heads up and present the gospel to others. So when dark times come our way, um, we face it by living for him. That is our preparation. Our preparation is first having the faith to say, I will do this God's way. Having the faith to say, Jesus gave me eternal life and this suffering is temporary. But then also living out that faith and facing all of the darkness that comes to us. Responding to the pain and responding to the suffering as Jesus himself would have responded. And that's not the way that people tend to face hardship. So it's going to be a witness to those who suffer and to those who wonder how you can have such hope and to those who doubt the message of the gospel that you live out, that Jesus himself is the strength. As he says earlier in the same chapter, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you, a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And that's earlier in the passage that we didn't read. That's in verses 14 and 15. And so in this season of Advent, we will reflect and wonder on the God who was born as a humble baby for our sakes. But while we're doing that, we need to watch and stand fast and keep our heads up. We will prepare fervently for the future by being active in the present, and we will face this world and our current circumstances by living boldly for Jesus, who's the author and defender of our faith, and who promises that one day he'll return for us in great power and glory. Looking to him, we await his return by wondering and by witnessing with joyful anticipation. That's the end of my talking, and I'm, I'm, bet, I'm betting you're like, oh, it's so early, how exciting. Uh, we're doing this on purpose because the best part of Advent is reflecting, um, and the best part of church is community. So we're going to take a moment, before we break into groups, we're going to take a moment to think about who we want to talk to. <laughs> so go ahead and do like a covert look around and decide who you want to get together and talk with. All right. Don't move yet. You're going to get, oh, <laughs> sorry. Don't move yet. Uh, you're going to get together in your groups. And the very first question I want you to discuss is, where is there darkness in your life? Or where do you see darkness around you, whether it's in your community or far away? Where is there darkness that you have been called to keep your head up in? And how do you feel? Do you want to duck? Have you ducked? 
Have you had your, held your head high? Where is there darkness that you've been called to keep your head up in? Take one minute to move. Um, sit by somebody you don't know. Well, that's hard here. Sit by, <laughs> sit by somebody you don't normally sit by. Uh, take one minute to move, and then we'll, we'll take a couple minutes to uh, talk. a group I think everybody does okay take take about uh, three minutes in your group to talk about where have you been called to keep your head up in darkness and how has that been going for you Okay, we're going to move on to our next question. Here we go. Our next question is, what does this specific darkness mean for Christ's mission in your life? So this darkness you're facing, whether it's personal or whether it's in your community or whether it's uh, across the world, what does this darkness mean for you and get what God wants to do through you? Another way to think of that is how can you intentionally face that darkness and be a witness this Advent season? Okay, so we'll take another like three minutes on that. All right, let's draw back together. You can stay where you're seated because, you know, you're with your new friend, <laughs> your new old friend, or your old new friend, whichever. Uh, but you can stay right where you're seated. Uh, and let's draw this back here. Um, so the thing is, now we've said how we think we might be called to act uh, intentionally as Christ's witness this Advent season. And the thing is that you can't just declare that and not do it. 
that's part of the intentionality in this. So this is your goal this Advent, is to say, how can I hold my head up in the darkness and be a witness for Christ? How can I do that practically? And then to put it into practice and to be intentional about it. Because that is part of the preparation of Advent. We like to keep it as a season of waiting and wondering and joyful anticipation. And it's all of that. But it's also a season of preparation. And preparation means work. There's work in reflecting. But there's also work in proclaiming the good news. And there's also work in loving as Jesus is loved. So that is our goal to do what you were talking about in your groups and to be intentional about it this season. Um, So as we further reflect on this and further reflect about how we want to take these conversations and make them a reality, um, we'll have a time of offering. And I, yes, so we we have switched back to the plates. So we will have um, an usher come forward and use this time of, of offering to further reflect on how you'll make this, um, this season an intentional season of proclaiming the good news. <laughs>